So listen, isn't that true though? We all need help at different points in our lives. By the looks of things, some of y'all need a little more help this morning than others of you, right? But we all need help. I think, in fact, I would say that the very cry of the human heart is in some real sense, help, <laughs> help me, I need, I need help. But the question then becomes, well, where, where do we find that help? Like when the stuff hits the fan in our lives, where, where, do we, where do we turn? I think that's a good question for us to ask. In fact, some of you have probably been asking that very question this week. And I would even argue oftentimes we're in more need of help than we even realize. And in those moments, where do you look? Where, where do you turn? And if you need help today, this psalm is for you. If, you. if you don't need help today, then just stick this in your back pocket because sooner or later you can pull it out and you are going to need it. All right? And so, listen, if you have a Bible either in print or on an app, go ahead and head to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, one of my favorite passages. We're going to camp out there uh, this morning. But I want to take some time and just pause and pray and ask the Lord to help us as we step into his word this morning. God, we, we come to you and uh, we confess, God, that we are uh, a people who are in need of help. We are not self-sufficient. We are not islands. A, we need each other, but more than we even need each other, we, we need you. And so, God, would you be ever-present with us this morning as we open these ancient words which are alive and active and able to speak to our hearts, uh, empowered by the Spirit in a way that nothing else is, God? Would you, would you give us clarity this morning in our minds where we need clarity, God? Would you, would you give us healing in our hearts and our souls where we need healing? Would you give us comfort in places where maybe we feel... Um, just hurt or uncomfortable, God. Would you be what everyone needs from you uh, this morning? So would you speak to us through your word, by your spirit, in the name of your son, amen. All right, here we go. Psalm 121. If you don't have a Bible, we're gonna put this on the screens for you. It's only eight verses long. Um, all the Psalms of Ascent, by the way, are very, very short. So they're, if you wanna memorize scripture, the Psalms of Ascent are a great place to start. And so I want to I want to read all eight verses together, kind of one big chunk, and then we'll go back through, we'll break it apart, we'll digest it together, okay? Now, I'm going to ask for your help this morning. Because it's only eight verses, I want to invite you to read these with me uh, out loud, and then we'll dive in, okay? Can you do that? All right, read it out loud with me, starting in verse one. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right side. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. So in verse one, we see our pilgrim and he says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? Now, now why, is it, why is it so important, it seems like in this psalm, that we fix our gaze upward in troubled times? You ever thought about that as you read Psalm 121? Like, why does that seem to be an emphasis? Well, isn't it because for most of us, when we face troubled times in our lives, we, we tend to look down, don't we? 
We tend to kind of slump our shoulders. We tend to kind of look down. You see this in sports all the time, right? A, a team loses a buzzer beater or a Hail Mary, and like they're walking off the field and their heads are just hung low, right? Our, our faces are kind of downcast when we're in trouble. And the psalmist in 121 is reminding us, hey, believer, don't look down. Look up. Look up. Look to the mountains. Now, for us, as people who live in these, man, just beautiful, glorious Blue Ridge mountains that we live in, I think that we can understand Psalm 121 better than most even, can't we? I mean, mountains are a picture of strength and beauty and stability. I mean, is there anything more awe-inspiring than to see a, a range of mountains just kind of silhouetted against the sky at sunset or sunrise? I don't know that there's anything more beautiful or awe-inspiring than that, right? Mountains are a picture of power and beauty and longevity and safety and shelter and refuge. In fact, the Bible oftentimes uses mountain imagery to connect us to who God is. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. This will be on the screens for you. This is the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 2 says this, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Now, you should know this. Jerusalem was and is surrounded uh, by mountains. So as the people in ancient times ascended to Jerusalem on their journey to these great worship festivals three times a year, they would have literally been reminded of this whole concept and an idea as the mountain range came into their view as they got closer. It's kind of like for us, if we travel outside of Asheville, you go to Charlotte, Atlanta, Myrtle Beach, or, or whatever it is, right? When you're coming back home, you get close to the Blue Ridge Park or the Blue Ridge Mountains, all of a sudden you see that range come into view, right? It's like, man, that's beautiful, man. I can't believe I get to live here. And it's kind of just brings this sense of comfort that you're, you're on your way home, right? They would have been reminded of the same thing. As they got close to Jerusalem for these worship festivals, they would have seen these mountains around Jerusalem coming. And listen, ultimately they would have been reminded of the maker of the mountains, which would have been a very comforting thing on an otherwise perilous journey for them. Now some, uh, some Bible scholars have argued that perhaps for the writer of Psalm 121, uh, may, maybe the mountains actually represented danger to him, right? Because in, in those days, oftentimes bandits and robbers, robbers would hide out in the caves and crevices of the mountains, and then they would kind of come out to, to attack uh, unsuspecting travelers. And I, I find that, that view a little less compelling, honestly, than I do the view that, that these mountains are, are, are really reminding the writer of Psalm 121 of the power and beauty of God. But in, in any case, in either case, the main idea remains the same. Mountains should point us to the, to the God of the universe as the primary source of our help. That's what mountains ought to, ought to inspire in us when we see them, right? So the idea is, hey, guys, as we, as we look up, as we lift our eyes up to the mountains, our hearts should then be pointed to the one who made the mountains, right? We, we look beyond the mountains to the mountain maker, we look to the creator of creation. And now what the psalmist is about to do throughout this short, uh, pithy little psalm is he's going to give us three truths that I, that I think really ought to stabilize the sons and daughters of God in troubling times. So three truths or three realities that ought to bring us comfort when we, we really cry out, I need help in my life. How am I going to get out of this? Where do I, where do I find help? And so the psalmist, we see, he lifts his eyes up to the mountain and he asks 
The question that we all ask at times, and maybe you're asking it even today, where am I going to find help for this? How, how am I going to get out of this jam? Who's, who's, who's coming to help me? Now, his answer comes in verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 again. He says this, my help comes from who? From the Lord. Now, who, which, which God is this? The one who made heaven and earth. He goes, that, that's where my help is coming from. Now, you can almost hear uh, the echoes of the Apostles' Creed in this, right, that we recite here at New Life on a regular basis. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's the first line of the creed. And in fact, Psalm 121 is one of the passages that the, the authors of the creed use to kind of create that document. And we need to be reminded of this oftentimes, Christian, don't we? The God whom we look to as the source of our help, the writer here is saying is, he's no weakling God. He's not a weak God. You need to understand, he is the almighty one, the sovereign one, the maker of all that was, is, ever will be. He's the giver of life, the author of hope, the dispenser of freedom and forgiveness now and forever. This is our God, and this is really good news, and this is what he's trying to drive home to us. And this leads us right into, I think, the first truth that ought to give us comfort as followers of Jesus this morning. Number one on the screens, the creator is your helper. The creator is your helper. Now you say, well, cool, Chris. What, what does that mean practically in my life? Well, he begins to unpack that for us in verse three. Look at this. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And what he's saying is this. Believer, our God is always awake. He's always awake. He's never asleep. He doesn't need naps. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's really hard to watch over someone or pay attention while you sleep. Have you ever noticed that? Now, some of y'all have tried that in some of my sermons, and I see you, all right? Now, I know it's bright up here and dark out there, but I can't see you, right? And what he's saying is, hey, look, God doesn't need any sermon naps. In fact, he needs no kind of naps, right? And this, this at least for me, brings to mind the story of uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You guys remember that story? First Kings, Old Testament. And Elijah challenges the prophets of this false demonic God named Baal. And he says, hey, look, look, look okay, we got people in our, in our city who are worshiping my God. We got people who are worshiping your God. Let's settle this once and for all. Let's see who the real God is. And so you build an altar to your God and, and, and you, you pray to him to send down fire from heaven and, and, and just confirm if he is really the, the one true God. And so, and so they do that. All these prophets of Baal, they begin to, to cry out to their, their God. And if you're familiar with the story, they're, they're crying out for hours, man. It's like eight in the morning until noon. So they're for hours. They're just, they're just pleading, Baal, show up. Prove that you're the one true God. And it's kind of like you get to halftime. They're, they're tired. And if you know the story, Elijah, stop, he starts to mock them a little bit, doesn't he? Do you remember that? He's like, cry louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe your God is on vacation. He's in Myrtle Beach. You better shout a little bit louder. And then he literally says, maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. He says that, right? If you think the Bible is boring, I know you haven't read it. It's hilarious, right? It's like maybe he's in the potty checking the ESPN scores from the games last night. And then he says, maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe your God is asleep. You need to shout louder to wake him up. They begin to cut themselves, right, to try to get their God's attention and nothing, their silence. And then God's man, 
his prophet Elijah begins to call out to his God, the one true God, the God of the Bible. And he answers immediately and ferociously with breathtaking power, and he leaves no doubt as to who the true God really is. And our pilgrim right here in Psalm 121 is looking for that kind of help. Say, man, where's, where's my help coming from? It's not coming from any of the pagan gods. It's certainly not coming from Baal. It's, it's not coming from Asherah or the moon god. No, his help comes from the God who never sleeps. And I think that's probably a fair and a good question for all of us sitting in the room watching online this morning. Let me, so let me just ask you, what false gods are you looking to for help in your life today? What false gods are you looking to for help in your life today? Now, it may not be Baal for you or Asherah or the moon god like they would have been looking for help back in those days, but maybe for you it's a relationship. You're just thinking, man, if I could just get that right boyfriend, if I could just get that right girlfriend, if I could just be married to the right husband, the right wife, if I could just get that job, if I could just get my bank account to whatever that imaginary number is, then I would feel secure, then I would feel happy. Maybe it's materialism. If I could just have that house, if I could just redo my kitchen, if I could just get a new Ford Bronco, if I could just, whatever it is, you fill in the blank for you. What false gods are you looking to for help that can't actually help you? It's a good question, I think, again, for all of us. And the psalmist in 121 reminds us, hey, guys, hey, guys, eyes up. You're not going to find help in any of those things. They can't help you. They're not God. Look up to the God of this universe. That's where you're going to find your help. So, believer, let me, let me give you this, and, and this is, this is going to be on the screens. If you're not taking it, write this down. Believer, you can sleep because God is always awake. That's what he's saying. You can go to sleep and sleep like a baby every night. Why? Because your God never sleeps. He is always awake. Now, what is Psalm 121? Well, it's a, it's a psalm, obviously, but it's also a pilgrim's psalm. It's a song for the journey. It's a traveler's psalm. Now, for sure, the, the dangers for us, traveling dangers for us in 2023, are probably going to look a bit differently than they would have looked back when the psalmist was writing 121. But I think even for us in modern times, man, we, we can understand this, this feeling, right, of being lost. Like, have you ever been somewhere, a strange place, maybe a new city, you're at night, you take a wrong turn, you, you wind up in a sketchy part of town, you begin whispering some prayers, don't you? I know I do. I, I've been lost in big cities before at night. I begin to pray. <laughs> I've been lost in rural Madison County before. I also begin to pray. Some of y'all are from Madison County, right? Listen, when you hear the banjos, pray harder, right? Pray harder. You might be getting close to Tyler Ross's house, and you, you, then, you're, then you're in real trouble, right? In those days, the perils of traveling, listen, guys, even more than today, were ever-present. Because think about it, right? You didn't have cars, you didn't have planes, trains, none of that stuff. Most of the time, you were traveling on foot, many miles at a time, oftentimes on uneven ground, especially if you're on mountainous terrain. It'd be real easy to slip on a rock or a boulder, sprain an ankle, break an ankle even. Well, guess what? If you had 20 miles left to your destination, you're in trouble. You can't. There was no AAA to call, right? There ain't no 911 to call. You're, you're in trouble. And also in those days, you were at the, the mercy of the, the heat of the sun, if you've ever been in the Middle East, like I've been in the Middle East, walking by foot in the scorching heat of the day, you know what he's talking about here. You're desperate. 
you're dangerous it's dangerous you're looking for shade you're looking for water and traveling by night was no better it was even riskier actually right because you had the bandits and the robbers who would hide in the hills and the crevices traveling in these days was fraught with unimaginable danger and so it makes perfect sense why the psalmist of 121 in verses 3 through 8 uses the word six different times that we translate in the ESV keep God keeps us Six times you'll notice that. Other translation, it says God protects us. The NIV uses uh, the language of God watches over us. So six times in six verses, he says this. Now, now, now why is that? I think, I think the reason is it wasn't enough for the psalmist to simply know God as creator. It's not, it's not enough to know that there's a God who exists, that he's all-powerful, that he's the creator of God. The psalmist needs more than that. Because listen, y'all, here, here's the deal. There are plenty of people all over planet Earth who believe in a God. There are plenty of people. All, I mean, you can walk downtown Asheville and you, most of the people you talk to believe in some creative force or, or, or some energy out there that's supernatural or some form of God. But they are separated from the actual God of this universe relationally. And so our psalmist, I think, is saying, man, I, I need to know God on a more personal level. It's not enough for me just to know that there's a powerful creative force out there. I need to know this God who is personal, as protector, the one who watches over his people, the one who watches over us, guards us, keeps us. And that's the second truth that I think the psalmist is trying to give us as a means of comfort, comfort this morning. Not only is the creator your helper, Christian, but number two, the Almighty is your protector. He's your protector. This is personal. This is like a parent looking over their baby as they sleep. He's not just a powerful, creative God. He's a personal God. He's, he's watching over his sons and his daughters. Now, what's he protecting us from? I think a, a few things. The psalmist mentions here, this certainly is not an exhaustive lift, but I think a good, good framework uh, for the protection that we can expect from God as his sons and his daughters. Now, in verse 3, which we already read, he, he says, God will not let your foot be moved. Now, now what, what's that all about? Now, this is, this is the idea that God, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you love God, that he will establish the path of your life. I love the way a pastor and, and professor Stephen Uli puts it. This quote will be on the screens for you. Uli writes this, when the train is treacherous, the slightest slip can be perilous. But God watches over the psalmist. He keeps his people in all places. So listen, friend, no, no matter how rocky, no matter how slippery, no matter how treacherous the pathway of your life seems right now. Christian, know this. God's got you. He's got you. It doesn't matter how crazy your life circumstances are, how treacherous your life seems right now. God's got you, and this is really good news. The New Testament in Jude 24 puts it this way. This will be on the screens for you. It says this, now to him, that's, that's God, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's this whole idea of keeping your foot from slipping again, right? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This is good news. And, and actually, I want you to, to notice the, the, the last word of that verse there, with great joy. Like, it gives our Father in heaven pleasure to watch over us. Like, he's not a reluctant God. He's not like, ah, oh, man, you're, are, you, are you seriously asking for help again, dog? Like, you're so, what a moron. He's in the same ditch again. I gotta pull this sucker out. Like, 
That's, that's, that's not the mind, that's not the heart of our God. He delights in watching over us. He delights to protect his sons and daughters the way that a loving father watches over his own children. This is great news. Now, what other forms of protection can we expect from this relational and powerful God? He continues on in verse five. Look at it. It says this, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So guys, he goes, hey guys, listen, believer, follower of God, remember this, the Lord is the shade at your right hand. Now, have you, ever, have you ever read that and wondered, like, why my right hand? I got problems on the left, too. I got problems behind me. Like, why is it always on, on my right hand? Now, this is really fascinating. I just learned this this week. I've been excited to share this with you all week long. So if it's not impressive to you, just be like, ooh, yeah, it made me feel good about it. Here, here's why. This is, this is good. In ancient times, when soldiers went into battle, they, they always had their shield on their left arm. Right? So when they went into battle, they were, they were protected on their left side by their shield. Their flank, their rear was protected by their fellow soldiers. But your vulnerability was always on the right side. As you extended your sword in the heat of battle, you were open. You were vulnerable to being injured or even killed on your right side. In fact, that's oftentimes what happened in battle in ancient times. Is that cool? So Psalm 121, God, he's saying, God is your keeper. He's your shade. He's the protector at your right hand. Meaning, and listen guys, and this is super applicable. In the most vulnerable places in your life, believer, even there, God is with you. In the most exposed places, the most raw places, the most vulnerable places in your life, even there, maybe especially there, God's got you. He's there guarding you keeping you, watching over you. That's amazing news. Now that Hebrew word that, that he uses there for shade can also be translated and oftentimes is shadow. It can be translated shadow. Now, now how many of you remember when you were a kid or maybe you have kids and you watch them do this when you discovered or your kid discovers their shadow for the first time? Anybody remember that? I still remember one of my kids. We were in the driveway. It was like noon. The sun's out and they notice it and they're, they're kind of looking around. They start moving around like, oh dang. There it is. They run on the other side of the drive. And what happens when you move around? Where does the shadow go? It moves right with you. Wherever you go, there it is. And this is a, I think this is a great picture of our God. Wherever you go, there his presence is with us. A divine shadow, right? A shadow of, of refuge. Psalm 91.1 says it this way. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the what? The shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do you hear the confidence dripping from his lips? He's not scared. He knows where his help is coming from. It's not coming from any weakling God like Baal or Asherah. It's coming from the creator of the heavens and earth. He's got confidence. And our pilgrim continues his train of thought in verse six. He's, he's seemingly getting more amped up and excited as he goes along. Look at verse six. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now again, we already touched on this, but traveling in the heat of the day in ancient times was risky business. You, you could die from heat stroke. You could die from dehydration on these long journeys. In fact, that would not have been uncommon. I remember... Um, when Cheryl and I first started dating in our first, first year of marriage, you guys may know this, we, we both grew up as MKs, missionary kids. So I, I grew up in South America. She grew up in Kenya, Africa, on the equator, 
uh, for the first 15 years of her life. And so I remember in, in the dating process and even the first year that we got married, she would tell me these mesmerizing stories of Kenya and how beautiful it was. And man, you got, you got to see the beaches there. They're pristine. The water's awesome. The, the, the restaurants are incredible. And it's just like the way she talked about it, I was like, man, this is the Garden of Eden. This is the Garden. I, I, I cannot wait to go to paradise in Kenya. And then a, a year into our marriage, we, we flew out. Her, her parents are still, to this day, missionaries there. And we, we flew out for, for Christmas time, which is the, the middle of their summer. And I remember stepping off the plane in Kenya and thinking, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I felt like I had just stepped into the third level of hell. I'm looking around for the demons, right, and Satan. Where, this is his house. Where's he at? And I remember just, we're driving her down the road, and people are burning trash in the streets, right? There's chemical burns in my lungs. And we, we go to the first restaurant. I literally look in the back, and there are rats running around the kitchen. No joke. I'm not making this up. I said, this is not good. And I ate that pizza anyway, had a lot of faith, and I ended up getting an amoeba. So I was laying, uh, Christmas Day, I'm laying out in this, her parents' house with no AC. I got a fever of 105. It was 120 degrees in the house. I said, good Lord, what have I done? I have died and gone to hell, right? It was, it was terrible, right? And forget about going anywhere by foot during the day, right? You, you could die. I remember going to church the first time. All they had were fans running, and, and I remember my, my sweat pooling in my shoes. You could get a shower, you step outside. As soon as you step outside, it looked like you just got out of the shower. It was terrible, right? Right on the equator. So this is, this is, the, this is the framework that the psalmist is giving us here, Right? It's dangerous. Life is like that. Life is dangerous, fraught with danger. It's not always comfortable. It can be downright dangerous at times. It can be scary at times. It can be uncomfortable at times. The heat of the day is no joke. You could die of a lot of different things. Well, listen, traveling at night under the moonlit sky, by the way, in those days especially, wasn't any better. We already talked about it. You could be assaulted by bandits and thieves. Think back to the New Testament story of, of the Good Samaritan, right? Dude's traveling from Jerusalem on the road to Jericho. He gets, he gets mugged, almost killed, right? This was common in those days. Now, here's the message. Pay attention. This is important. Here's the message I think he's trying to say. Friend, listen. Whether by heat of the day or by the dragons of the night, the Lord has us. Whether by the heat of the day or the dragons of the night, God has us. And this gives us freedom. This gives us confidence to live and walk this journey called life. Now, let me ask you this question. Does that mean, through all these promises that we see in 121, does that mean that when you give your life to God, and when you begin to follow Jesus, that you will never again suffer in this life? Is that the promise in 121? Because it, it, it kind of seems like that's the promise, Right? But if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time at all, you already know, man, that can't be what the psalmist is saying here because even after we follow Jesus, we still get hurt. We still get sick. We still have relational issues. Friends still betray us. We still face financial trouble, illness, even death. So that clearly can't mean what the psalmist is saying here, that we'll never suffer again in life if we follow the Lord. I think what he's promising here, really two things primarily. Number one, I think he's saying that God will get us all the way home. From the moment that you draw your first breath at your birth to the moment that you breathe your last breath on planet Earth and then your first breath in his kingdom in eternity, God's got you and he will walk you all the way home. That's good news. 
The second thing I think he's saying here is that if you're a follower of Jesus, that there is purpose in your pain. That there's purpose in your pain. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the Apostle Paul. You probably already have this memorized if you've grown up in church. Romans 8, 28 on the screens for you. Paul writes this. We know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Did you catch that? All things. Not some things. Not just the pleasant things. Not just the fun things. Even the messy stuff. Even the painful things. Even the disappointing things, even loss, even suffering, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I appreciate pastor and author Josh Moody, uh, who writes this, will be on the screens for you. Moody writes this, suffering is not to be thought of as counter to God's purposes, but as part of God's purposes. How can Christians believe in the crucifixion of the Son of God if they do not believe that God has a plan for suffering? We worship the king with the crown of thorns, not the golden tiara. Mm. Ain't that the truth, and isn't that good? We worship the king with the crown of thorns, not the golden tiara. And I'm gonna say this again. I'm gonna repeat Paul in 828. All things, all things. In fact, I want you to say this with me right now. He works all things together for the good of his beloved. Not only is the creator our helper, not only is the almighty our protector, this is the third and final truth that should bring us comfort this morning. Number three, the Lord keeps you from all evil, believer. Look at verse seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. We just said that. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, it's been pointed out by scholars and theologians that that phrase, you're going out and coming in, is actually synonymous for life and death. And so what the psalmist is actually saying here is, listen, God will keep you from all evil as you come into this world and as you leave this world. We could say it this way. God will keep you throughout the entire course of your life. As we said earlier, God will get his sons and his daughters all the way home. Now, I want to say this, and listen, listen to this. This is important. God will keep us not from difficult times, but through difficult times. Let me say that again. God will keep us not from difficult times, but through the difficult times. He will keep us not from difficulty, but from the ultimate evil of being separated from his presence in this life and in eternity. And let me say this. He is just as much present in the journey as he is the destination just as much present in the journey as he is the destination. Now, if you, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. When you go on a long road trip, what's the question that they're gonna ask 345 times? Are we there yet? How much long? It's been five minutes, bro. Why are you asking? I told you it was gonna be eight hours. You asked me five minutes ago. Why are you, why are you asking me again, right? We're getting ready to go on a long road trip. I'm, I've already braced myself for the question. I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna turn the music up, right? It's just going up this time. I'm not even gonna answer it. But we, even as adults, even as followers of Jesus, we do the same thing. I think far too often, even as followers of Jesus, we can be too destination-oriented. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're that way. Maybe you, you surely have known Christians that way. And the, the attitude, the thought process is, well, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, then it will be all good. When we get to heaven, then we'll be in the presence of God. 
when we get there then we'll have comfort then we'll have peace then we can experience joy listen y'all when all the while I believe with all of my heart all of those things are available to us as followers of Christ now in the present through the person and work of Jesus Christ all of it not some of it all of it his presence his comfort his peace his joy abundant life available now in and through Jesus and what the psalmist is saying here is he will keep us from birth through death into his eternal kingdom. And that's really fabulous news. Really fabulous news. I love the way uh, Charles Spurgeon says this in, in the way that only Spurgeon can say it. This will be on the screens for you. He says this, our soul is kept from the dominion of sin the infection of error, the crush of despondency, the puffing up of pride, kept from the world, the flesh, and the devil, kept for holier and greater things, kept in the love of God, kept into the eternal kingdom and glory. And God does all of that for all of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, y'all, that's a big God. That's a good God. That's a God you can trust to take you all the way home all the way home, through the trials, the fires of this life. Remember uh, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Y'all remember that story? He gets sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood. His, his brothers are jealous of him, and they, they sell him into slavery. And all, man, immense suffering. His life is just a series of suffering after that, right? Could you imagine being betrayed by your own flesh and blood, being sold to a foreign power to be a slave? Then he gets abused in, in Potiphar's house. He gets, he gets imprisoned wrongly. He suffers for all of these years. And then finally God lifts him out of that suffering into a place of prominence, right, where he becomes actually the second most powerful plant, man on planet Earth. And do you remember many years later, he actually comes face to face with the very brothers who betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Do you remember his very first words to his brothers after all those years? Do you remember those words? Say it with me. What you intended for evil, God intended for what? For good. My suffering, betrayal, pain, slavery, false imprisonment, what the world meant for evil, God turned into good. That is our God. And so what I want to give you, this is kind of last idea. This will be on the screen for your note taker. Write this down. We even sing this song sometimes. Here it is. Even when you can't see a believer, God is working on your behalf. Even when you can't see it. Even when you're suffering. Even when the pathway is dark. God is working and you can trust him. Benjamin Franklin once famously said, you probably heard this quote, God helps those who help themselves now, some of y'all probably thought that was in the bible didn't you well it's not read your bibles right now that sound it sounds kind of pithy sounds maybe even a little bit true there's only one problem with that quote do you know what it is the message of scripture is not god helps those who help themselves the message of the bible is god helps those who seek his help it's not the message the bible never says anything that god will help those who help themselves that's Americana, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, John Wayne theology. The message of Scripture is God helps those who seek his help. 
Think about the, the, the words of, of, of Scripture. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That's the message of Scripture. So let me just ask you, where are you turning to help for in your life right now? Are you turning to the one who can actually help you? Or are you turning to the bales of your life? The false gods, yourself, your intellect, your strength. Someone else, a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, a classmate. Materialism, power, social media cloud, whatever it is. Where are you turning for help? So listen, guys, here's the deal, and then we're almost done. We're about to land the plane. There, there are many people who instinctively cry out to God in troubling times. Have you noticed that? If you, I've, I've flown a lot in my life. You, um, if you've ever been on a flight where things start to get a little sketchy, you know what I'm saying? Stuff starts flying around the cabin. The stewardess starts looking scared. I always look to them. If they look scared, I'm scared, right? As long as they're happy, I'm happy. If they, if they strap up and get nervous, I'm, I'm praying. Uh, listen, when, the fly, when it looks like the flight's about to go down, even the atheist is praying, all right? I've been talking to this guy. He said he doesn't even believe in God. All of a sudden, we're about to go down, and he's, he's clutching my wrist saying, Pastor, pray for me. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I thought you didn't believe in God. <laughs> when you, listen, when, the, when the, the stuff hits the fan in your life, everybody's praying to somebody. When your life hangs in the balance, everybody's praying to someone. Well, listen, what, what is that? Well, I'd argue that that instinct is hardwired into the human condition to know, A, that there's a God, and B, that he's ultimately our only hope. He's our only source of help. I mean, we think back to Ecclesiastes, right? God has put eternity into the man, the heart of man. And we're hardwired. We're born with this idea. Now, we can deny it for sure, right? That's why there are atheists. We can deny it. We can press it down. But deep down, we all know there's a creator and ultimately that he's our only uh, hope, our only source of help. But here's the deal. This is, where, this is where the rubber meets the road, guys. I want you to understand this. That's not enough to know that. That knowledge alone is not enough. There are people walking all over planet Earth today, right, who believe in a creator God, but listen, you must know him personally to experience all the benefits of Psalm 121. And I want to say this to you. It's only through Jesus that you can know this God as creator, father, protector, companion, companion, keeper, and friend. All of the promises that we just read, all these beautiful things that we just unfolded together from Psalm 121, ultimately find their completion in the person and the work of Jesus the Christ. And it's through his perfect life on our behalf, his brutal death as payment for my sin and your sin, our collective sin as rebels against a perfect and holy God and his miraculous resurrection that we can experience all of these beautiful truths found in Psalm 121. So as we close this morning, I'm gonna invite the worship team to go ahead and make their way back up. They're gonna lead us in one more song, but I just wanna finish with a question that I think Psalm 121 poses for us. What do you do when you're in a mess and in need of help? What's the answer? I lift my eyes to the hills. Not, and I don't get transfixed on just the mountains. I don't just get transfixed on the beauty and the power of nature. Right? I remember when I lift my eyes in those troubling times, I remember the maker of those mountains. And understand this believer, he's got us. And he has promised to get us all the way home from our birth all the way through our death and into his eternal kingdom. And that's a 
promise that's worth celebrating and staking our lives on this morning. Let me say this. If you're here, and I know every week we do, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I know there's some of you in the room, there's some of you watching online, I want to say two things to you. First of all, I'm happy that you're here, glad that you're here, but I want you to know this. He invites you into his kingdom today. There's a seat at the table of Jesus with your name on it. And if you want to experience all these incredible promises about who God is and his protection over your life and his presence with you through the trials and fires of life, here's what you do. You simply cry out to him and you say, God, I just admit I can't do this on my own. I realize now, man, I'm a sinner separated from you because of the sin that's in my life. I can't help myself. I make a terrible God. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own, God. So I want want to know this, God. I want to know the all-powerful creator of the universe who is also a personal God, a loving Father who watches over, protects even the most vulnerable places in the lives of his sons and his daughters. Like, I want to know this, God. I want to experience Psalm 121. I want to just hear about it or read about it. Like, I want to live it. So God, the best way I know how, I just want to give you my life. I want to turn away from my sin. I want to, want to follow Jesus from now until I meet him face to face in his kingdom when I breathe my last on this planet and step into eternity. If that's where you're at, let me just encourage you. Pray some prayer like that. Pledge your allegiance to King Jesus. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. God, we, we come to you and we are... <clears throat> Gosh, we are, we are broken, fallible people, Father. And we need your help. It's like the song we, we just sang. We need your help every day, every hour. God, would you forgive us for the times that we've run to little G-gods, false gods, turned to the bales and the ashras of our life in this world. Forgive us for the times where we look to ourselves for help. Forgive us for the times we look to others for help or a bottle, a pill, a meal, money, whatever it is, God, would you remind us that ultimately our source of help is in you and in you alone. <laughs> and thank you for being a God who's not only powerful but also personal. You invite us to know you, to live in relationship with you, to experience forgiveness and freedom, the abundant life, not just in heaven, but right now in this life, God. We love you. Help us to worship you right now. In Jesus' name we ask and we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship this God.